God's in a whisper. Been looking at the life of Elijah. And God has taken him on this incredible, amazing ride. Elijah's done the kind of things that uh, Hollywood would make a movie about. And today we're going to find Elijah at a very low point in his life. He's just come down off Mount Carmel. He's just had this uh, incredible victory. He defeated the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Uh, Ahab's just returned to the palace. And he's going to let Jezebel know how things went. He says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now you've got to remember that, that we're talking about Ahab, the evil king. We, we talked about 19 evil kings in a row they've had. Scripture says Ahab was the most vile. He was the most evil of all the kings. And, and so I kind of get the sense as I'm reading Scripture, it doesn't say this, but it feels like Ahab is kind of losing his nerve, that he's kind of reeling from the defeat. And he comes back to report what, what's happened to Jezebel. And I kind of picture him throwing his hands up and kind of resigning himself to the situation, that uh, he, he's been defeated, that I don't think Ahab had the stomach to keep fighting. But Jezebel did. And scripture goes on and says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severe, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now again, Jezebel's pointing back to what happened on Mount Carmel, the the execution of 850 of the false prophets uh, of Baal and Asherah. And she basically vows to Elijah that she's going to take Elijah's life. You know, she says, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And I swear before the gods, her gods, that you're a dead man. By this time tomorrow, it's over. And Elijah... I kind of expect him to go one way, but it says, Elijah was what? What's it say? Afraid. Elijah was afraid and did what? Ran for his life. When I read that, I am stunned. Of, after everything that Elijah's been through, I would have expected him to respond some other way. You know, I read it, and I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm going, huh? Elijah? Afraid? Seriously? I mean, the first time we meet Elijah, he's ready to take on the king. The king's been turning hearts to false gods, and, and Elijah can't take it, and God calls him. And so he goes and confronts this king who is worshiping these false gods of Baal and Asherah, And he says, you know what? No more rain. There's not going to be any more rain until God tells me otherwise. And for three and a half years, there's a drought in the land. No H2O here, okay? We talked about that God took him to the Kareth Ravine. Uh, Miraculously, 
took care of Elijah. He's out, out in the wilderness. This is during the drought. And God gives him a spring that gives him water every day. He sends ravens to cater him food. And God is teaching him to totally depend on him. One day the spring dries up. Elijah tells him to, to move on. And then he's to go to uh, Zarephath and, and find the widow there. And so off he goes. And he finds the widow. In fact, he lives with the widow and her son. And during that time, he performs these amazing miracles. You know, he multiplies the food so that it never runs out. The boy gets sick and dies. And Elijah does something that was never recorded before in Scripture. He he resurrects him from the dead. Finally, God calls him again and says, go confront the king again. And you end up with this challenge against the 850 false prophets up on Mount Carmel. And it's a showdown. It's a death match. And we've talked about that. And it's one of these amazing things where he challenges them and says, you know what? The first one whose God brings down fire from heaven wins. Loser dies. The 850 prophets, they go crazy. They're worshiping, they're dancing, they're praying, but no response. And Elijah lets them go all day long. And finally, near the end of the day, Scripture says that he stood before that altar and he prays. And fire comes down from heaven. Consumes the sacrifice, it consumes the altar, it consumes everything. All 850 prophets are executed on the spot that day. Then last week we talked about that he climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. And he gets on the prayer cycle. He he prays for rain. The scripture says that seven times he kept coming back and praying for rain, asking God to, to send it. And the whole time he's not wondering if his prayer's gonna work. He's just wondering when it's going to work. And finally, a servant comes back and says, there's a little bitty, teeny weeny little cloud out there about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah knows that his prayer's been answered. And not only that it's been answered, it's going to be seriously answered. And so he makes this emergency broadcast. This is not a test. Get down off the mountain before it's too late. Torrential storms are coming. Hang on. And he's absolutely, he's right. Then to kind of top things off, he races Ahab back to the city of Jezreel. 17-mile race. The king's in his chariot. Elijah outruns him. Just races back, outruns everything. Friends, When I track this amazing life of Elijah, God's miraculous call of him, God's miraculous provisions and protection and power, when I I look at that, that marvelous God that over and over and over and over again is faithful, I find myself shaking my head going, one day a woman, one woman, Says, I'm going to kill you. 
And Elijah wigs out, he freaks out, he panics, and he runs for his life. It just doesn't make sense. You know, one of the things I think I, I love most about the Bible is it doesn't just tell us the upsides of life. It gives us the downside. It doesn't only uh, cover the victories, but it, but it kind of reveals the, the weakness, the, the struggles, the defeats. And because of that, and I think you're with me here, when I read that, it's something I can identify with. You know, we, we see these great men and women of faith. You know, they, they were people just like us. That they do these amazing things that God works through them. But we also see them dealing with depression in their life. I mean, Moses got depressed. I mean, he led all the children of Israel, the, the Hebrews, out of slavery. And then he spirals out. You know, Jonah, he ends up leading one of the greatest spiritual awakenings maybe ever. And he finds himself down. Sarah faced it. She didn't think God's promise. It just didn't seem possible in her life. It seemed like something impossible. The apostle Paul faced it in his life. In fact, through all of his trials and tribulations you you find him struggling Simon Peter was immersed in it when he denied Jesus Christ those three times and it just hit him like a wall Elijah's no exception here Elijah this mighty man of God this guy that stood up against incredible odds he stood on, on Mount Carmel and faced off one woman makes a threat and he freaks out, and he runs. And I think, how does that happen? How did that happen to Elijah? And then I think, how does it happen to you and me? And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at some of the warning signs that seem to be in, the, in our story today and take a look at not only how it happens, but then look at how do we find our way out of it. And I want to say up front, no one's an exception here. We will all have seasons when this is going to hit us. Elijah, the first thing that happens, he loses perspective in his life. He lost perspective of what was really going on. I remember years ago, I had a good friend. We used to talk a lot, and he was going through some financial stuff, and I remember him saying to me, and I, I've quoted him before because it's, it's such a classic line. But he goes, you know, they could take my car, they can take my house, they could take my country club membership, but they can't eat me. And that's how I responded. And he goes, seriously, Damon, they can't eat me. I'll never forget that because... It was perspective in life. Perspective, I, I think, makes all the difference. You've probably heard, heard this letter before, but I, lo- I love this. It's a girl writing to her parents. She goes, Dear Mom and Dad, since I left for college, I've been remiss in writing. 
I'm sorry for the thoughtful, thoughtlessness. I'll bring you up to date now. But before you read on, please sit down. That's never a good sign. Well then, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out the window of my dorm when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival has healed pretty well now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital and now I can almost see things clearly. And the headaches are almost gone. I met a real nice boy while I was in the hospital recovering. We've fallen in love and are planning on getting married. We haven't got the dates exact yet, but we'll do it before my pregnancy begins to show. (laughs) We're holding off getting married until he gets out of prison. We are really excited, and I know you'll love him. Now that I brought you up to date, I want to tell you there was no dormitory fire. I I didn't get a concussion or skull fracture. I wasn't in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not engaged, and there's no boyfriend. Therefore... I need to tell you this. I'm getting a D in calculus, a C in chemistry, and I want you to see those marks in their proper perspective. Love, Kelly. (laughs) Perspective. Elijah lost perspective. Elijah was afraid, and he did what? He ran for his life. He lost perspective. He he forgot that he had faced off against the 850, think about that, 850 false prophets, and God protected him. Now one woman says, hey, I'm going to kill you, and he freaks out. I I mean, I think he should have first considered how God had, had protected him, and then maybe thought it out a little bit. Like, maybe Jezebel's just speaking in anger. Because if you think it out, it would have been political suicide for her to have went after him. Biblical account, if you read it, there are 7,000 faithful. That's a, that was a lot of people. Would have been a, a large section of the population. It would have been a mistake. And I also think that when the news was getting around about what happened on Mount Carmel, the fire from heaven and everything. I believe if you weren't a follower of Jehovah God, that you would have been afraid, don't you think, to go up against Elijah? And rightfully so. If Jezebel had followed through with her threats, I believe that she would have lost the throne, her and her husband. Might have cost her her life. Perspective. No, Elijah lost perspective. He lost perspective that Ahab had seen him immediately after what happened on Mount Carmel, and he didn't do anything. Apparently, he'd resigned himself to the fact that Elijah had won and there was nothing he could do about it. Ahab is still king. Jezebel's not. I think he lost perspective of God's power. God's promise, how God had always provided for him and protected him. Elijah was afraid, and he runs. He he doesn't even take a moment to to think about it. He doesn't stop. He doesn't drop to his knees and, and pray. He doesn't ask God for anything. He just runs. 
I think if he'd have just stopped for a moment, if he'd have jumped on the prayer cycle, like he'd done in the past, if he would have just asked God to get involved, it would have changed his whole perspective. If he would have asked God what God's will was for his life, God would have answered. God would have turned the tide. God would have showed him, but he ran. He just ran. And friends, I believe when you lose perspective, and we all do it from time to time, but what happens is the small, the insignificant, gets overwhelming. We, we blow things out of proportion. And we quit focusing on God. Instead, we focus on the situation. We, we get scared. Fear grows. We don't drop to our knees. We just run. Elijah lost perspective. And then he begins to do what many times we do when we're in that situation. That is, we begin to isolate ourselves. You know, Elijah, he, he isolates himself. How many of you, we're going to date ourselves. How many of you remember Gilligan's Island? <laughs> How many of you wish you didn't remember Gilligan's Island? You know, the, uh, next year, movie's coming out. <laughs> I, was, I was a Gilligan's Island fan. I actually saw the DVDs the other day, and I was going to get them so my grandkids could watch them. My wife goes, don't do that, honey. But, um, I mean, the castaways, were, they were a little bit wacky. You know, you got Gilligan and Skipper, Professor, Marianne, Ginger, Thurston Howell III, and Lovey. Yeah, Lovey. So. The longer they were isolated on that island, the crazier the series got. I mean, the skipper, at one point, he believes the whole island is under a voodoo spell. You know, they're all seeing ghosts everywhere. Castaways find a totem pole, and they believe that Gilligan's a reincarnation of Kopakaya, the headhunter. Yeah. yeah. He finds a stone, and they believe it's a magical stone, and he gets three wishes one of my favorites, he becomes sheriff, Gilligan does, of the island, puts everybody in jail. But it's cra- crazy stuff. But here's what I think happens. If you are isolated long enough, especially when things aren't going well, you begin to believe crazy things like voodoo and totem poles and curses. Elijah should have been drawn close to friends, but instead, during that, that depressed time, during the despondency, during those, those loneliness, instead of drawing close, what do we do? The tendency is to isolate ourselves from people that can help us. You know, Scripture goes on and it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judea, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Elijah is 120 miles from Jezreel. He's 120 miles from where God wants him to be. And I love the way the Bible emphasizes that. It says, he himself. It's saying, he's alone. And and there's something about what, what happens in our lives 
that we are very susceptible, especially after a victory like he had, to go down, to isolate ourselves. Our natural tendency is to retreat to Gilligan's Island. Isolation. It's a choice that people make, and I just want to say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You know, seek help. Connect with other people. I think what happens when we begin down this road is we, we get jammed up and we quit listening to the warning signs around us. It's interesting. How many of you have a car alarm? Let me see hands. All right. Those are the cars not to take, okay? I mean, there's all kinds of car alarms out there. You know, the whoop, 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 whoop. You know, on and on and on. But here's what I don't understand. Car alarms, they they lower your insurance, which makes no sense to me because anytime I hear one go off and I'll watch people and people don't even pay attention, they kind of go, huh? True? Whoop, 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 whoop. And we kind of glance, and then we just go about our business. Because here's what we believe. I mean, somebody could be breaking into the car, but in our minds, we're thinking, oh, somebody hit the wrong button, right? Some of you probably hit the wrong button. We just ignore that stuff. We don't listen to it. Remember the show Lost in Space? It was the Robinson family and their crew, and they're traveling through space on Jupiter 2, And they get in all these difficult, ridiculous situations. Trivia buffs. Let me see trivia buffs. All right. The robot. What is the most famous line that the robot says? Danger, Will Robinson. Robinson. Do you know that was only said one time in an episode? One episode. But that's the most famous. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Warning. And so many times... The Robinson family, they would hear, danger, danger. But they'd just proceed on. And they'd get tangled up in these ridiculous, dangerous situations. I think Elijah was walking through the space of life. He's depressed. All the warning signs are going off. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Danger, danger, danger. God would have changed the situation if he'd have just paid attention, but he he wasn't. He wasn't listening to any of it. Scripture says that then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. I'm sorry. He came to a, a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. Elijah, he comes off this amazing victory. He's vulnerable after it. Physically, he's tired. He's run down. He just ran a marathon in the rain. So physically, he's fried. He defeated the false prophets. I think spiritually, he's drained. He was part of the execution of, think about it, 850 false prophets. That had to be emotionally 
uh, just taxing. Adrenaline had quit pumping. He's crashing. He's toast. There's just nothing there. I mean, what do you, what do, you do when you get drained? What do, what do you do when you hear the warning signals? I mean, do you pay attention to them? Do you, or do you just keep running? You know, I'm bulletproof. I'm a superhero. I can do it all. I, I don't need to, to rest. I don't need to replenish in, in my life. Because here's what I've found that I need regularly to unplug from life. You know, so I, I try to make a point of hitting the ball court and playing or watching a movie or just unplugging for, for the day. And I'm always amazed how much it helps. And, and I wonder what it is for you. What is it? Is it hiking? Is it fishing? Is it a hot bath, a good book, coffee with a friend? It, it, you have to pay attention. Because if you don't pay attention to the warning signs that you're depleting, it'll just mess you up. And it'll kind of segue you into what I call self-pity. And the, this is the, the um, dangerous stuff. And Elijah kind of dives in head first. He says, you know, take, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What? I mean, what's he saying? You know, I want to I scream at Elijah and go, Who, who's keeping score? Why are you comparing yourself? You know, why are you playing that game? I, I think I've shared this before. My, my grandpa lives in Carrollton. And uh, as kids, we would go down and spend the summer for a couple weeks. But my uh, cousin, Bobby, and uh, I would usually end up on the farm together. And um, Bobby and I would go exploring on their farm. And in the very back part of their farm, there's a little thing of quicksand. And we've heard Grandpa talk about it before, Grandpa had lost livestock in it, and Grandpa had said, stay away from the quicksand, all right? Now, that's how you tell kids to go find it, (laughs) especially at our age, and, well, that's a whole other message could be built around that, but uh, we were, like, going searching for the quicksand, and sure enough, we finally found the spot, and we were, like, throwing stuff in there, and it would kind of lay on top, and then slowly it would just disappear. And Bobby kept getting closer to it. And I'm like, Grandpa said, don't get in the quicksand. He said, no. He said, don't go around the quicksand. I said, yeah, but, you know, what's around it really mean? But Bobby kept getting closer and closer. And finally, I look over, and he's about, oh, about to there in the quicksand, and he grabbed a tree and just pulled himself out. It wasn't a big deal. But friends, self-pity is quicksand. It's the quagmire that they were talking about earlier. Self-pity, friends, you hang around the quicksand long enough, and you go lower and lower and lower. And what I do know is that God always provides a way out. Elijah asked God to take his life. You see, self-pity has a way of diluting the good that's going on around you. 
don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been in that quicksand? Ever been in that quagmire of life? Because I'll tell you, when I get there, I start this sinking thinking in my life. You know, like, uh, it's not really worth it. I am not making a difference in this world. I am the only person doing this. Sound familiar? How many parents? How many parents have ever thought, there are no other parents in the world that are going through what I'm going through with my kids? You know, there is no one else working as hard as I'm working. There's no other business that's suffering like my business. There's no other marriage as difficult as my marriage. Fill in the blank, whatever you want. You ever felt that way? I want to tell you it's usually based on lies. Self-pity is a quicksand. And it'll just take you down. Now, I want to be clear. There are a lot of reasons we get depressed in life. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's biological. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's relational. What I've found, it's usually a combination. There are a lot of other warning signs, but I think the ones that we've talked about so far are the most common. So how do, how do we overcome this? Let me see. Any bus drivers? Bus drivers. Anybody ever driven a bus? Do we know what a bus is? <laughs> All right. If you've, if you've driven a bus, there are three words or three things you're supposed to do when you come to a train track. What is it? Someone? Stop, look, and listen. Stop. Look and listen. I mean, we're to do that so we don't get run over by the train. And that's what God tells Elijah to do, basically. You know, God God says in uh, chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, Then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there at his head was a cake of bread. Baked over hot coals in a jar of water, he ate and drank and then laid down again. I believe if you read that real fast, you can kind of jump over it and miss something really important. You notice God didn't preach a sermon. God didn't say, okay, Elijah, you messed up. You failed. I I can't believe you did this. No, God didn't do that. God just says, you know what, Elijah, stop. Just stop. Chill out. Take, take a nap. I'll tell you what, I'll cater some food in for you. And God sends an angel. And that's what he does. God sends an angel with food. And the angel tells him to get up and eat. So we got Elijah. He's sleeping. He's resting. He's replenishing. And I've said this before. One of the most spiritual things you can do in your life sometimes is just get some rest. You know, just relax, just uh, sit back and have a nice meal. God wanted Elijah to rebuild physically. Why? Well, I I think because God knows that if Elijah is strong physically, if he's rested, that, that Elijah will be able to think more clearly, that 
he'll be able to dial in. Scripture goes on and says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Hebron, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now here's what I guarantee you. Think about this, 40-day trip. You know, I picture him jumping, jumping on a motorcycle or something and, and taking off. But 40 days by himself. I guarantee you it was a time of introspection. It was a time that he was considering and reconsidering what was going on in his life. And I am sure that he talked to himself. I am sure that he probably threw a few comments God's way. He arrives at the cave finally, 40 days later. Tired, he goes to bed. Next morning, God wants him to begin to look. And scripture says that God began questioning him. I mean, why is God doing that? God already knows the answers to everything that he asks him. But then I was thinking... Isn't that what a counselor does? Counselor asks lots of questions. Why? Well, to help us analyze things. I I think counselors are borrowing that from God's methodology. But scripture says this, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You you would have thought he would have uh, looked around at the situation and said, what am I doing here? You know, why am I here, God? Why, why am I in this cave? Why, why am I depressed? I mean, you would think that's how he'd respond, but it's not. Scripture says this. It says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophet to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. See, he's exaggerating things. He says, they're trying to kill me. Well, actually, it was one person named Jezebel. Everyone's turned their back on you, God. Well, we know that's not true. There were 7,000 people that were faithful. Elijah's job, again, wasn't to keep score of the situation. Your job, my job, isn't to keep score. In fact, I believed oftentimes that the failures in life, In God's eyes are successes. You know, Jesus hung on a cross. He's suspended between heaven and earth. And the entire world was watching, and they believed that Jesus was the biggest failure ever. And three days later, God turned what appeared, what looked like a failure, into the greatest success in the universe. You know, God secured salvation. And it changed everything. I want to say to you, let God keep score. Let God do that. God's talking to Elijah. Elijah, get out out of the cave. Look to me. And he gets out of the cave and looks. This is one one of my favorite passages. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire 
came a gentle whisper. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the quake. He wasn't in the wind. He said a whisper. You know, so many times we we look to the spectacular stuff in life. We believe those spiritual highs, those rallies, those conferences, those concerts that we go to, that God is going to be in the middle of that, and God may, but I'll tell you what, friends, God's in the small voice business. And I wonder, where, where are you looking for God these days? I mean, dramatic stuff, dramatic events... Hear this, dramatic events will not change you. They won't change you. I remember the first Sunday after 9-11. Churches across the country, the church I was serving at the time, was packed. People had seen evil at a level that they hadn't seen before. They They were rocked. And people were looking for answers. People were looking to to God. And I thought that Sunday, as I saw people pouring in that hadn't been to church for years, maybe never been, I thought like Elijah thought probably after Mount Carmel. People are coming back to God. There was a spirit of anticipation. The following Sunday, a few people returned. And friends, by the next week, it was back to the same old routine. Here's what I want you to know. Events, events will not change your life. God does. He is in the wind. He's in the quake. He's in the fire. That's the stuff that got, their, got Elijah's attention, but it was in the whisper that he finds God. Scripture says that Elijah found a new purpose for his life. You know, Elijah, God called him to go and anoint two new kings and called him to anoint another prophet, Elisha, who we're going to talk about next week. But God, God spoke to him. And when he listened, when Elijah listened, He heard God saying, you know, Elijah, I'm not through with you, bud. You have got to understand I've got great plans for your life. I've got some wonderful things that I'm going to do that are in store for you. You know, God had catered him meals. God had gotten Elijah out of the cave. He'd gotten his attention with the wind and the fire and the quake. My friends, it's God's words that changed things. Elijah, I mean, if he had just heard God, I think he would have just sat there. But he was listening to God. And there's a big difference because listening means active. It means that as you hear something, and Elijah heard it, he responded and did something in his life. I mean, some of you may be afraid. Some of you may be running in your life. Some of you may want to run and escape. But I want to encourage you, come out of the cave, come out of the cave, listen to God, you know, get, get your Bible, go to a, to a quiet place, and think about this passage. I, I think this passage is so powerful. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and what? Future. Friends, when I get down, that's one of the passages I go to. I mean, just let that sink in. You know, spend some time with God. Pray. You know, just just have a conversation with God. And as you spend time with God, you find that God will love you. God will speak to you. And God will meet your needs. You'll find that you may not feel it right now, but if you begin that process, you begin to sense God's presence. And here's what I can promise you. God will give you direction. God will give you strength. God will use people to come alongside you, to assist you, to encourage you. God will change the situation, whatever it is. And when you take that step, what happens is you shift. You shift your focus in life. You quit focusing on you, me, 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 me. You quit focusing on all the noise, all the noise that's around you. You quit focusing on the situation even because when you shift and you start focusing on the one that can change things, when you focus on God, it all begins to shift. And my question is, what are you listening to in life? What are you listening to? The noise, the negativity, the, the, the problems, the situations? Or are you listening to God? Because God's got a plan for your life. But you've got to listen. you just got to listen. Elijah comes out of the cave. He listens to God. He found new purpose. He finds strength. He finds courage. And he starts moving again. And he heads to Damascus in search of Elisha. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let, let's stand for, for a word of prayer. The song we're, we're going to sing, um, it's about God's grace. And um, if we're going to have communion afterwards, uh, if you need to leave for some reason, you can just slide out during, during the song. And uh, let's bow in prayer. Our holy God, the wind gets our attention. The quakes in life get our attention. The fire of life gets our attention. God, I pray that when all those things take place, that we'd hear your still, small voice. God, you're the one that can change all things. It's you and only you. So God, we place our lives in your hands. God, I know there are those today that long to hear your voice. And I pray you'd give them the courage to just slice out some time and to spend with you. Renew strength. Renew vision. Renew our purpose. God, we give you the praise. We thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.